0: Thank you for listening to the Park Church podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.
1: Lord, we do thank you for the fellowship of your church, not just within this congregation, but of the wider fellowship of your church. We remember what your Word tells us, that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And as you have brought us into a knowledge of yourself, Lord Jesus, and brought us into your family, your body, your church, so we do thank you for those bonds of fellowship and care that exist. We think particularly this morning of those who are needing to know the reality of that fellowship and care. We do remember Pauline and Michelle and David. We remember others lord who have been laid aside for a long period I think of pat robertson up in stonehouse hospital now going into her ninth month in hospital we remember others many who are now frail who faithfully came to the house of the lord not just on the sunday but at other times active involved within the life of our church who are now frail and at home or in nursing homes we also think of those who once were part of us and whose hearts have grown cold, who have turned away from the way of Jesus, and who journey in a different path, and we remember them before you now. In the quietness, we come with our prayers, with our pictures of people and of circumstances, of the folks round about us that we know, and of the folks round about us that we don't know and in the quietness now we come and we pray for one another. And as we do so, we pray that as we come now to read your Word and to hear it and to watch it and to reflect upon it, that, O Spirit of the living God, you would continue your task of taking from Jesus and making Him known to us. Lord Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray. Amen. In a few minutes, we're going to watch the Bible. I know a number of us have found watching it on the screen helpful. And and we're going to be reading this morning or following the story from Matthew chapter 19. If you want to turn in your Bibles to that, Matthew chapter 19. And we're looking at a slightly different encounter this morning, just a word of explanation before we watch it. The last few Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus encountering folk, the disciples, The the sick and the demon-possessed, those who are ill in various ways. Um, We looked at the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And last Sunday we watched and looked at the story of Nicodemus all different kinds of people, different circumstances, religious people, non-religious people, people who were and hearty, people who weren't and hearty, people who had deep, deep rooted issues within their life, and others who were getting on with their life, like Nicodemus, but were being provoked to ask questions and to think. And that's the story of Jesus, reaching, meeting with a whole range of different kinds of folks, a range of folks even bigger and broader than we have gathered here this Sunday morning and that's vital. But as you read the gospel stories, you also read that in these encounters with people, the miracles that took place, the healings, and the other miracles that took place around that, especially in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these gospels particularly, they emphasize that these encounters, these meetings, were in a sense surrounded by the phrase that Jesus was teaching and preaching about the kingdom, or the kingdom of God. For you see, that actually it was what Jesus said, even perhaps more so than what he did, that provoked a reaction. Nicodemus was provoked not only by what he saw, but by what Jesus was saying, and that stirred him. Even when Jesus met with the Samaritan woman, he actually has teaching in what he says to her about what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so, this morning, we're looking at an encounters that Jesus had with some people, all in the day, all in the day's business, in the sense, of Jesus, different kinds of encounters where teaching was given. And teaching, which I would suggest, is actually very pertinent and relevant for our world and our society and our life today. So, let's hear and let's watch
0: the Word of God. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is
1: it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason?
2: Haven't you
0: read? He replied.
2: That at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then?
0: They asked.
2: Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away?
0: Jesus replied,
2: Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery.
0: The disciples said to him,
2: If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry.
0: Jesus (laughs) replied,
2: Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way.
0: Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said,
2: Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these.
0: When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked,
2: Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the command. Which ones?
0: The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery,
2: do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your
0: neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered.
2: If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me.
0: When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples,
2: I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God.
0: When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked,
2: Who then can be saved?
0: Jesus looked at them and said,
2: With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things
0: are possible. Peter answered him, We
2: have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us?
0: Jesus said to them,
2: I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first.
1: And that is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday when we looked at the story of Nicodemus, you remember I said how Nicodemus was a Pharisee and explained a wee bit about the background to that grouping within the Jewish faith. And it's interesting that the first real encounter that Jesus has now is with the Pharisees. He's left Galilee. He's gone into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. And and he's now on a journey, a very different kind of journey. In the past, he's been journeying around his, his territory, you might say. But now he's on that journey that ultimately is going to take him to Jerusalem. And all that happened that first Easter, Jesus, the the Gospels tell us, sets his face to Jerusalem and journeys there because he knows that that's why he came, his death, his resurrection, and all the circumstances around that. And if you know something of the Easter story, you'll know that the Pharisees were one of the groups who, of course, were most keen to make sure that Jesus was done away with in Jerusalem. They had been deeply troubled and stirred by what Jesus had done, but also by what Jesus said. It's important for us always to remember in the life of the church that, yes, miracles and other demonstrations of God's love and grace and power must be accompanied with the Word of God. For it's by hearing the Word of God, the Bible tells us, that faith comes. And Jesus, on that journey to Jerusalem, is confronted with a group of Pharisees who've got a very different agenda, they're looking for ways to trip Jesus up, to cause problems. The Pharisees, um, people, as I said last Sunday, who had many ways were those who had rediscovered the Word of God and had been committed to it, they had their other readings. I mentioned last Sunday about their basically commentaries, and their commentaries on a particular passage of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24, where at the beginning of that chapter, Moses does give the grounds for divorce. They had lengthy commentaries um, explaining what that meant, that, well, you see, Moses is saying here that for a man, it's actually possible for you to separate yourself from your wife. Basically, it no longer suits. And what you had to do was you had to go to a religious leader, a Pharisee, and get a a deed of divorce. And you had to pay for it. And if a lot of guys were getting fed up with their wives because they didn't cook the potatoes right, or, you know, they weren't just cleaning their shoes properly, or whatever else, and they had to go and get the deed of divorce, it actually was quite a good wee business the Pharisees did quite well out of it. Plus, it gave them a certain degree of authority. If you're in a position where somebody has to come to you and ask for some document or some official thing, and, you know, you have to give them permission, well, that makes you feel quite kind of important. And so, they had interpreted divorce law in a very broad way, actually, the sad reality was by the time Jesus came, the divorce was very common. Women were treated well. As I told you before, a Jewish man would pray, thank God that he wasn't a woman or a Gentile. And women were very much regarded by not all, but by many Jewish men as simply an accessory to be there to do what they did to provide for kids, which themselves, children themselves, weren't valued, but at least if they were a boy, they would carry on the father's name, and the father's business, and the father's activity, and women's role was very much, very much under the rule, the the, the rule of men, and if you got fed up with that woman, because she could no longer give you kids, or she wouldn't meet your needs in various ways, or whatever, then it actually was becoming relatively easy to go, and to speak to a Pharisee, religious leader, and to pay your 20 quid, or whatever it was, and get a quickie divorce, the Pharisees had still, therefore, business intent. They had to justify their own position, and they were looking for ways to trick Jesus. If he said he agreed with them, then he would alienate other religious groups who, of course, weren't happy with what was happening. And, of course, if he said he disagreed with them, well, that was simply another black mark against his name. Jesus was in a no-win situation. Whatever he said, he was going to be in trouble. And perhaps tomorrow in the staff room or in the office or sometime this week and there's a conversation comes up about marriage or about sexual ethics or about something that's been on the television or whatever, and you're a Christian, and you get this feeling, as perhaps Jesus had, that it doesn't matter what you do, whatever you say, you're on the wrong side with somebody. Well, take heart, because that's the position Jesus was in. And look what he does. He reminds them of the book of Genesis. You're fed up hearing me say how vital the book of Genesis is. Well, this is why it's so vital. He refers them right back to the book of Genesis. Haven't you read? He says, At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate Jesus here as elsewhere, at the wedding at Canaan of Galilee and, and at other times Jesus affirms what marriage is. And that's why it's not for the church or part of the church to reinterpret what marriage is. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And other people might have other arrangements society might deem that something else is legal or right, so be it. But the church has to affirm what Jesus affirms, what the Bible says, that marriage is between a man and a woman and that together they become one flesh, and without shocking us all or causing us all to have, you know, heart attacks or whatever this morning, you know what that means. That it's the place where the proper expression of sexual love is found and demonstrated and experienced. And while you might have thought that would have been kosher in first century, I thought it was very good the way they had Jesus sitting there getting taken along the road. It wasn't. Oh, yes, people would give nodding up assent to that in the first century. But let's be honest, there's nothing you under the sun. And all sorts of arrangements, all sorts of activities and all sorts of practices went on there just beneath the veneer of formality or orthodoxy. Jesus goes back to what the Bible teaches. And so, this encounter demonstrates that, and this encounter should encourage us in our encounters with friends, with family, in all the discussions, rather than pointing the finger, note, note, that's very important, rather than pointing the finger and saying, that's wrong, and you shouldn't be doing that, and, you know, zip up your trousers or whatever, he points people what the Bible says and the principles, the creation ordinances that his Father in heaven established. And then when he turns to the issue of divorce, he clarifies what that is means. And it's interesting, that comes over very clearly for, sex, for marital unfaithfulness, I think it was translated in the strange sexual morality. Some verses have adultery, but actually the word there is, is not just a physical adultery, it's that there is grounds for divorce where the wife has been unfaithful. However, you must remember, Jesus is speaking at a time when women couldn't divorce when they do not have any legal status, they didn't have any legal right. It was only the man. He was actually restricting what a guy could do, and also reminding us later on, when he speaks of the church and as the bride of Christ, of the value that women had. His ministry with women was radical. It was one of the things that caused people to notice that he had the women who were faithful, And cared for him and provided for them and were given a place in his team of disciples and so men and women find themselves in areas of marital breakdown unfaithfulness and I would suggest today that that means not only physical unfaithfulness but where someone gives their love and their time and their attention and their effort into something else that is not their life partner. So, instead of giving their life partner the love and the time and the care and attention that you get, they give their love the time the care and attention to another person or another thing, and that might be their career, it might be their friends, it might be money, it might be whatever. Then they are being unfaithful. So try sharing that with your mates at work when marriage comes up. And then he goes on. See how pertinent it is. This it pertinent these encounters are very relevant. You know? He goes on to talk about singleness. In verse 11, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, now we know what a eunuch is, I take it, you don't want me to tell you a physical picture up on the screen, but you know, people who were either castrated physically or for one reason or another physically were, you know, and we're talking here about the guys. Um, for there were eunuchs who were born that way, people who obviously have um, some physical issue. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, those in the first century who were castrated. Or in the first century, it was very common, Especially in the Roman world, not so much in the Jewish world, for a Roman businessman to have we saw it when we went to Ephesus, their 3 store, story townhouse. I hope none of you lives in a three-story townhouse, by the way, because I'm not suggesting this is you. But they lived in the, the men would live in the top floor, their wives would live in the bottom floor in the middle with their servants. Why in the middle servants? Well, that means they could run up and down and serve both of them, but not just practically. The servants lived in the middle so that the men could bring up the servants for their sexual needs only bothered with their wives when they wanted to have kids. That was the world of the first century. And sometimes they would have their servants castrated for their own sexual ends. There are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live single lives, sexually restricted life in a sense, you might say, um, who, for the sake, do so for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Well, you're not surely telling us, minister, that you shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage. You're surely not telling us that there's a calling to live a single life, and that actually it's a high calling. Note what it says. It says, choose to live like new for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that you seek to live a celibate single life, because that's what's laid on your heart. Can you now see, as I'm telling you all of this this morning, be a wee bit more graphic, you can see how his teaching caused stir, provoked reaction, because I think it can even sense it's provoking a reaction amongst us, so I can imagine what it would do a provoke reaction in our society, but that's, you know, and so he's recognizing that there are people who are in a particular state physically. The whole issue, we don't, we're not going into that this morning, the whole transgender issue this morning. We were at a presbytery meeting the other night, on Tuesday night. We're frightened to use the word transition. I did announce that the presbytery clerk was in transition. I did not mean that he was having a sex change, that he was going to be castrated that it was going to be changed in something else. I just simply meant he was moving on to another job. But you can hardly use that word now without all sorts of connotations going on. There's, if there's any rumors that you hear that the Presbyterian collapse on this exchange, it's not the case. And it wasn't started by with the minister of Park Church. But do you see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? There's principles here that apply to issues today where, you know, it's presented as a, a, almost like a shopping trolley. You can choose. To be a boy or to girl or to be a knit or whatever i was at a meeting last year where this issue was raised one of the things we were told was we must not have toilets with you no know, signs of like men or the ladies or whatever outside i said well don't worry we've only got four they're for anybody so we're okay but there's principles here and we are going to look at them on a wednesday evening we're going to ask somebody to come and speak. That's reminders. We'll still have to do that. We're going to get somebody to come who spoke very helpfully. is one on work for SU and also for our denomination. I'm going to get them to come one Wednesday night and to speak about that whole issue. Of also accepting that one is single and celibate. And I want to commend those professing believers, younger people in our church who have lived faithfully before they were married and seek to live faithfully now that they are married. But that doesn't sit comfortably with the social norms or the moral relativism of <coughs> 2019. Do you think that Jesus provokes a reaction, would provoke a reaction if he was going saying these things today? Do you think so? Maybe it's about time that we allowed him to do that. Let's sing together. It's a hymn to a tune we know, and it just sings in some of the things. I'm just throwing these ideas out this morning that we we could spend a whole morning looking at them, but let's... And then we move on, and, and it's all, this is all happening with us. We saw very helpfully from the video, all happening within a, a journey, a journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, the calling of the church to take up our cross and follow Him. And so, therefore, in our contemporary society, as Jesus in His time did, we need at times to stand and to speak and to share things which are going to provoke a reaction and are not going to fit in or suit all those who are listening or watching or waiting. And we pass on, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Why did the disciples rebuke? Well, they rebuked them because, of course, kids, you see, if you were a woman, you were, and if you were a child, you were, you see? And so children were there. They were there. And again, this is a general statement. It would be unfair to say that was true for every Jewish family or anything else. Of course not. But they were often regarded, especially by the religious leaders, those who were on the, you know, the kind of higher echelons, the upper, and the middle classes, and the upper middle classes, and the kind of aristocracy of the kirk. Children were regarded as a commodity. You had them, partly because as a man, you wanted to show that you were, well, you weren't a eunuch. And they were there, and if they were a boy, then they would carry on your name, and they would carry on the business, and whatever else. If you were a girl, well, you'd get married off. And you'd get some money for it, my pension fund. I don't have any daughters, so, you know. And will they get anything for my sons? Well, I don't know, (laughs) Emma, What are you willing to give us for them? (laughs) Are your mum and dad willing to give me? (laughs) We laugh, because that's not... But that's how children were regarded, and still are regarded by some, by more than some in our world today, including, I'm being very controversial today, including, dare I say, amongst a lot of middle class and upper class people. They're a commodity. Nice to have them. And you give them money. And you do what you do. But you don't actually spend time with them. You've got no payer for doing that or the PlayStation, or someone else. And Jesus here is giving children a key place. Not to turn them into little princesses or gods. That's not right either. (laughs) If you've been a parent, you'll know how that's a dangerous road if you go down that road. Not like that, but to give them a place and to give them a value. Look what he says. Let the, and we've heard this often, especially those of us who are Presbyterians, because this gets trotted out for infant baptisms. Let the literal children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I'm not talking, you can take that and apply that to being childlike in our faith and everything else, and that's right, that's right, but that's not the angle we're on today. You know, that's not the line of thinking we're on today. What he's saying is that these children are part of God's kingdom. Purposes. See, that's why. That, why did God say to, in the book of Genesis, go forth and multiply? He said to them, not only that mom and dad would, yes, would have some fun in the process of doing that, let's be honest, and enjoy themselves, but so that the kingdom, so that God's people would grow, would prosper, would advance, so that they would rule the earth and steward it in the way it was meant to be. Children are to be seen as a blessing, as a gift from God. Now, I know as a pair, we don't always feel like that. I do now. Well, Gregor's not here today. He's left. <laughs> but, you know, I know that. <laughs> but I also know the great joy and the great blessing that they are. And the things that I've learned about myself <laughs> and about God. I'm always conscious this goes online, but I don't think Martin would complain. I don't think he would anyway. Martin Patterson. Carlin's son. Challenging time. You know, I told him once many years ago, sitting here actually, in the church, and it was quiet. This idea of God as a father, I said, you really know what that means when you have a family of your own. And that was long before a, you, well, no you, Jennifer, but long before, Well, <coughs> And... I don't see him very often now. He's a busy man. The other month there, he did go up to the house and we went out for a run and he brought out the the recent addition to the, the, the family. And he was so chuffed to show that he was a dad and his kids and that he was learning more of what it is to say, God is your father. Children are a blessing. They're not a commodity. And I know this is not the case for you, families, here in the church this morning. I know that. I saw you sitting there with your kids and bless you. And the reason why I brought you out, just in case you wondered, was because, A, it was a delicate story. And I want the church family, us as a family, to. Because sometimes when you're in there, you don't see them. What a blessing. To see children nurtured in the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. Don't keep them out. But they're integral to the nurturing of the faith. Discipling them in the way of Jesus. So that they see primarily within their mums and dads. And I've said to you before, my wife has to give credit for her witness. Probably more than me as a parent. But to see in their mums and dads the way of Jesus. For to such belong. And even when they grow up and they go off and do their own, make their own decisions and whatever else, and let's be honest, they do, you're still there to the day you die, bearing witness to Jesus as the mum and dad. See how relevant Jesus is? See how Pointed in many ways and how challenging that is to many within our society who as teachers you can testify i was reading an article this past week from social workers and from psychologists and the problems and the suicides and all that there's a whole host of reasons for that which simplistically, say there's only one reason of course there is but you know i'm sure Stuart, if some of your mums and dads or mums just spent a bit more time with their kids you wouldn't have so many problems in dealing with so many kids it's not the teacher's responsibility isn't it? You're having to pick up the role that mom and dad should be doing. Time's gone. Let's press on. And then the rich young ruler. Again, you can take another, you can follow that story and, you know, and there's an angle that was taken in the past. All I want to say about this story, because time is going, is let's, and, and the film actually brought it out very well. I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't want him in your church? He was wealthy. He looked the part. He was nicely spoken, just the kind of guy you would want in the church. And you just imagine this rabble, and the were a bit of a rabble, let's be honest, wandering up that road, and Jesus in the back of a cart, and here's this guy coming on a horse. Again, it doesn't tell us that there, but the idea is he's wealthy. He's the rich, wrong ruler. He's got everything going for him. He's just the kind of person you want on your team. You remember, where, well, I, well, I remember where I used to, something was that you, James, the other week were talking about, when you at school, they used to have football teams, you know, and you would have to stand in a line and wait till you were picked. Well, I'm afraid I was always the last one. <laughs> Who wants him, you know? You know, I'll hold the jackets, you know? Well, this guy, this is the guy, this is the kind of guy that you want, aren't he? Yeah, you want. So, surely, surely you would try and kind of, you know, accommodate him. You know, just, you know, just tone things down a wee bit, Jesus. Don't be too harsh about the money and all the rest of it. And what's really, you know, what's the thing in your life that really motivates you? You know, just, just uh, you know, make the gospel suitable so that you'll get them in. Because once you get them in, you can get them changed. My friends, that doesn't work. I've for 30 years to tell you, doesn't it work? It's the grace of God that starts the work of change. And you have to be converted first before that work starts. and he challenges the man. Notice again, notice again what he's saying. He he gets on to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. just on to them. Doesn't he point the finger to the folk whose lives are messed up, the broken marriages or castrated or whatever else? You know, he's positively affirming godly values in the area of sex, marriage, family, kids. What's your priority, young man? I think it's Luke's gospel that tells us when the young man goes away, Jesus was filled with grief for sorrow. And John was Very good, that, wasn't it? You saw him journey away. Because, you see, his God was what most people would actually have to say is their God today, their status, their money, their wealth, their position, what they have, what they can be, you know, what they aspire to, how they look, what they wear. The kind of horse you've got? Well, no. And yet he goes away. Because that's more important than putting God at the center of his values, of his purpose, of his living, and of his lifestyle. No wonder the disciples said, who then can be saved? And Jesus, full of enthusiasm, says, well, with man that's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Thank God. But in our contemporary society, where the, 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 the idols of mammon are being shown to be what they are, empty, hollow, man-made things, read the book of the prophet Isaiah, particularly the first 30 chapters where continually he says to Israel, you've made your gods and you're looking to them to rescue, to deliver you, to save you. But look, they're they're the result of your productivity, your creativity, the result of your hands, and in the same way as you go to dust, they'll go to dust because they're passing things. So in our contemporary society, as we've made sex, or made personal security or made comfort or made passing material things, the gods that we have sought after, my friends, they are and they will come back to haunt us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said and all that is needful will be given to you Jesus who is this Jesus He stirs things up He doesn't blend in or fit in doesn't point the finger but he affirms what is true he gives words of wisdom that are as relevant today as they were 20 centuries ago, but how to live a life that's a blessing to others and will ultimately and eternally, as Angus discovered, give you security. He makes it clear. We're the ones that find it hard to take it on board and allow it to be worked out. Jesus, all for Jesus, all my ever hope to be, all I am and have and ever hope to be. Let's sing this remaining seated as we bring our offering to the Lord. Those of us who come to the midweek and Wednesday night, we're looking at a passage, and in that passage we read that after Jesus had been doing some teaching, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then it goes on to say, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Lord, I'm very conscious this morning that in this series of encounters that, Lord Jesus, you had with people we've touched upon. And I'm also very conscious that simply touching upon, we've touched upon some very, very, pertinent issues for our life and for our living. And I'm very conscious also, Lord, that in that sense it's that's all right for me sitting in here, but many of these good folks are living out their lives with family, with friends, and their working places, where these issues to do with marriage, to do with sex, the whole issue to do with that, um, and people transitioning, and a whole host of things, to do with the role of family, and the values that should undergird that, And what really is our chief end? Our chief end, O God, our Father, is to glorify you and therefore to enjoy you forever. That is not the chief end of most people in our world today, in our society today. How, Lord, can we be like you, Lord Jesus? And in our words, in our conversations, not condemn not point the finger and say, how could you do that? Or why are you like that? But how can we possibly affirm these godly, but also ultimately very sensible priorities and principles? We need your help for that. And so continue to teach us from your Word, O Lord. Give us teachable hearts and minds. Lead us into your Word and into things that are written about it so that we might get a better understanding of some of these issues I've touched upon. I'm conscious others of us perhaps feel we are past that point. That's fair enough. But others of us, Lord, are still working through these things. Lord, we've got a library here. Help us to use the resources you have given us in order that we might have the mind of Christ and bring the fragrance of Jesus Christ to bear on these very central issues. Lord, teachers, psychologists, doctors, professional people are wringing their hands. Our social service system is groaning under the pressures that are laid upon it, the breakdown of family life and a whole host of other things. Lord, that's the fruit, the toxic fruit of a society that has wandered far from you. Enable us to be your salt and your light in this day and in this generation, we pray. And so we offer you these, our gifts, as a token of this, our desire. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.